0: I've gone back and forth for probably about a year now about whether or not I wanted to actually do this podcast. I didn't know who would listen. I didn't know if it would matter. Uh, I didn't know if it was worth the effort uh, and the time and the money. Uh, Maybe I'd have a voice out there, but nobody would listen. I think somewhere about, I'm going to say four to five months ago, I decided that I would do this. And then it was only just a matter of time. So uh, here I am. And now that I'm here, what, what do I talk about? What do I have to say that someone else wants to listen to? I have borderline personality disorder. It affects, on some level, everything that I say, everything that I do, everything that I think, everything that I feel. If you don't know anything at all about borderline personality disorder, the easiest way to explain it, I think is that it affects a person's ability to regulate their emotions. It causes intense, rapidly changing moods, overly sensitive to stimuli. And I get that that explanation is super, super simple, and it's super... It, it doesn't explain it at all. And I think that's why I wanted to create this podcast, because I have a bunch of life experiences that have been affected by this, uh, by, by Borderline. And... I've I've learned a lot of things about it over the years that I've had it. I've learned a lot of things that can benefit other people, I think. And not just those with borderline personality disorder because a lot of the things that I suffer with and I struggle with, people that don't have BPD also struggle with. Things like depression, things like uh, relationship problems, things like just how they feel, the feeling of chronic emptiness. Those are all things that people with borderline struggle with every single day but when someone else struggles with those things and they don't know how to handle them maybe someone who's dealt with those things for a long time can can provide some insight or provide some personal stories that can that can help uh help you understand what's going on inside your mind and and help you to uh overcome those things so basically uh I guess that's why I create, decided to create the podcast because a lot of people, a lot of people out there do struggle with borderline. It's, it's not that uncommon. but even those without it, like I said, many people struggle with these relationships, emotions, emotional regulations. Uh, so a lot of what I have to say, there, there might be something valuable in there that that someone out there needs to hear, a uh, uh, borderline or, or not. Another big reason, Uh, For me deciding to do this, uh, just real quick, I'll just talk about one one of the strategies I've used in the past for managing my own thoughts and feelings has been through writing. One of the first therapists that I ever went to suggested this to me, that you need to get a notebook, and you just need to start writing. You need to write how you feel, you need to write what you think, and you just need to write with a pen. Not typing on a computer, (laughs) write with a pen. Write song lyrics, write about your feelings, write about your day, your experiences, anything like that. And I started doing that. I started doing that, and I started doing that a lot. When I say a lot, I mean at my peak, maybe anywhere from 8 to 12 or maybe even 15 pages a day in a, in a spiral notebook. You know those those 70-page notebooks that you buy at Office Depot? Over Over the last 10 years... I've filled hundreds of those notebooks. I'm talking like I said I'm I'm talking about 8 to 8 to ten, eight to 12 somewhere I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say I've easily filled hundreds of those notebooks in the last 10 years. But in addition to writing about how I feel, one thing that I've learned is how how you can handle a specific situation is is through through talking. Uh Talking it can be equally beneficial, uh, but my biggest problem with talking is that I don't, I don't trust therapists. I don't, I don't do therapists. I don't do psychiatrists anymore. I just, I, I can't. I did a lot of those when I was a little younger. Uh, I had one that helped me. Uh, he, he retired, and so I, I, I never really trusted anyone after that. I never had a connection with anyone after that. So I just, I didn't want to spend the money. I didn't want to spend the time. But there's still some truth to the mantra that that talking about it can help. Talking about it can be beneficial. So maybe doing a podcast would help me accomplish uh, some of that for myself. You know, even if this produces literally zero regular listeners, at least I know I can potentially be helping myself because I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about myself. So, anyways, with all that said, I guess. Uh, I, I, I guess we can get started. I don't really know how these things work. I don't really listen to podcasts. I don't really know like what kinds of stuff people talk about. But I guess I'll just start out by introducing myself. I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, my name's Jay. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, I've been here about four and a half. Well, going on going on five years now. I've been I've been here in Vegas close to five years. I was born and raised in the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> like most teenagers, if we go back a couple years, uh, I'm 28 now, so I'm, I'm 28 years old. Uh, like most teenagers, thinking back to my past when I was in the Midwest, and I was growing up, when I first started dealing with a lot of these issues, uh, like most teenagers, I, I couldn't get along with anybody. Okay, I'm talking. I couldn't get along with teachers. I couldn't get along with my siblings. I couldn't get along with my parents. I couldn't really maintain friendships never had a girlfriend as a teenager I just I couldn't maintain a single relationship with anybody on any level Uh, I, when I was like 15 16 I, I'm gonna say uh, one of my biggest struggles was was dealing with uh, depression which which stemmed from a very low self-image low self-image I think that's something that teen teenagers all over the world struggle with that especially here in America but I, I think that's a international problem that teenagers struggle with depression which comes from a low self-image low self-confidence for me it it was partially due to the fact that I, I never had a girl like me I liked lots of girls in school over the years middle school high school it was never mutual though I never was able to I never was able to make a connection with a girl and and I know, 15 years old. Maybe that's not that big of a deal, but for me, it was it was a huge deal. I can remember my freshman year. So what is that? Like 14 years old. My freshman year of high school. So we're going back. What we're going back 14 years. Okay, 14, 15 years for me. Uh, And I remember this like it was yesterday because this was a big deal to me, and it it's still in my mind. It's still in my mind. This was a huge deal. I remember this like it was yesterday. Homecoming dance. Okay beginning of high school so homecoming dances in the fall and I remember thinking I I don't know how I'm gonna ask a girl to go to homecoming with me I mean there's girls I like but they probably all have dates or I I knew for a fact that a lot of them did Uh, and it was difficult for me because I had an older sister who's a year ahead of me in school and she she like I said she was a year ahead of me so when I was in when I was a lowly eighth grader not quite in the high school world yet. I got to watch her uh as a when she was a freshman uh get asked by guys to go to all these formal dances throughout the school year and she was kind of different from me, you know. She was the pretty popular type, you know. She was pretty and popular and being that she's a girl, she didn't really have to ask the guy to, hunt to these dances, you know. They they would ask her and she always had a date, you know. And I was like, "Wow, that seems really cool." Like 14 years old and you get to go to a formal dance with someone of the opposite sex and it's a really cool thing you dress up you go out to dinner it's like a legitimate date whether you're boyfriend girlfriend or not you know it's you get a date and you get attention from that person I just thought that was so cool so then I get there to freshman year first formal dance is homecoming and like I said I I can remember this like yesterday who was I gonna ask what would I do so i i wanted to go not because i wanted to dance but like i said i i wanted a date what a cool idea to go with a girl i remember walking down the hall of the cafeteria on literally the last day to buy tickets to the homecoming dance and you bought the tickets at lunch and the the, the tickets were for sale on lunch in the cafeteria and i remember walking down the hall to lunch on that Friday or whatever day of the week it was the last day. Actually, you know what? It was probably a Wednesday because the dance was on the weekend. And I think Wednesday, I don't know why I remember that, but I think Wednesday was the last day to buy your tickets to homecoming. And I'm walking to the cafeteria. I'm walking to lunch. And I, I had to ask someone, I walked past this girl, Elizabeth and Elizabeth, Elizabeth had been my crush throughout elementary and middle school. So this is a small private school system. Everyone, you it, you don't meet a whole lot of new people in high school because it seemed like a lot of people at your high school were the same people at your middle school and were the same people at your elementary school because this is a small small community, small private schools. Okay, so I had knew I had known Elizabeth for for years, and she had been my crush for for years. You know, so while we were growing up, probably since whatever whatever grade fourth grade or whatever whenever boys start to start liking girls or have that little crush she was my crush throughout those years and I walked past her go into uh going to the cafeteria I walked past her and I just I think I just blurted out would you go to homecoming with me Elizabeth and she was like yeah and I was like just as friends and she's like yeah yeah absolutely and I was like wow that's so cool she said yes so I bought our tickets we went to homecoming and and had an okay time but it it was kind of a letdown it was not quite what i had expected because we were we were going as friends you know it wasn't it, it wasn't a date and like i said before what i wanted out of this was the date and i didn't get that and that was the end you know that was the end that was the next <laughs> the next formal dance of the year was called uh it was called, uh, what, what do they call it? The sweetheart, sweetheart's Dance. And I didn't go to this one. This was in February, right before Valentine's Day. And the tradition of this dance was that girls would ask guys. So I'm sitting there thinking, is anybody even going to ask me? Thinking that maybe Elizabeth will ask me because we had fun at homecoming. Well, she asked a different guy. She ended up with a boyfriend, she ended up dating this guy regularly, and she asked him to go to that dance, and that's who she was with, and nobody else asked me, and that was it. I never went to another formal dance in my four years of high school, I didn't go to prom, I didn't go to homecoming ever again, I didn't, I didn't ask anybody to any dance ever again for the rest of high school, that was it. And you hear the story, and you might like, but that wasn't even that big of a deal, it sounds like you had a good time, it sounds like you guys had fun. We did. But it was still a letdown because it's not what I wanted. And that's hard to explain. It's hard to explain how that kind of bothered me. Throughout the rest of high school, I had other crushes, but I was like afraid to ask anybody. I had another crush that was two years two years ahead of me in school. She was she was a year older than my sister, and I had a really big crush on this girl. Her name was Jessica. And I remember I was this was also my no this was my sophomore year she was a senior I was a sophomore and I remember I remember I had just gotten a cell phone so I was like well maybe if I could just figure out her phone number I could text her because I don't want to talk to her face to face I can't I can't handle that can't handle talking to a senior I'm just a sophomore and she's like drop dead gorgeous (coughs) excuse me I'm still getting over a little cold so I remember one day, I'm walking down the hall, like going to the bathroom in the middle of class. So the hallways are empty. And I remember thinking, I walked past her locker and I remember thinking, it'd be so easy to write a note, like a secret admirer kind of note. This is, <laughs> this is so childish, a secret admirer note and, and stick it in her locker and have her find it. And I could, hell, I could even throw my phone number on that and have her text me or something. And maybe something good will happen you know and <laughs> of course nothing good came from that uh, eventually she figured out who it was because my older sister died me out because she obviously my older sister knew my phone number my older sister was popular enough that the seniors like I can't believe this kid's sticking this note in my locker and blah blah, blah. so she starts talking to people Word kind of gets around and you know different people are like well what's the phone number let me see the phone number and Eventually, that phone number gets to my sister. My sister's like, oh, my God, that's my little brother. And So she figured it out. A couple of years later, she ended up marrying someone else because nothing ever happened with me and her. And Actually, to this day, she's like one of my older sister's best friends. I've hung out with her and her, now that we're older, I've actually hung out with her and her husband now. it's It's kind of interesting, but I'm never going to forget that. I'm never going to forget that. And after that, that was really the last time that I I put myself out there uh, in high school. And that was my sophomore year. So freshman was the homecoming incident. Sophomore year was the secret admirer nonsense. And from there, I just, I knew that I would have crushes. I would see girls that I was interested in, but I would just turn to depression. And I just started getting really, really depressed about it all. Um, it got to the point where I I couldn't, I couldn't handle the pain that I felt and people that are in that much pain and that are struggling with a mental illness, especially an undiagnosed mental illness. I didn't have, I had not gotten any medical mental health professional or diagnosis. I hadn't talked to anybody. This was all to myself. So I just got really, really depressed I didn't, I didn't, I had no self-image, no sense of self-worth or nothing. And then my sister got gang-raped. She got attacked by a group of guys. And that fucked her up. It fucked her up, but it also fucked me up. I don't even... Sorry, my stupid phone is blowing up now for no reason. Freaking annoying. So, I ended up, like I said, it 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 fucked her up, but it fucked me up too. Uh, I I saw her go down a dark path, where she started dating all kinds of guys that were just the shittiest people imaginable. At least to me, you know. I mean, there there were worse people out there, like obviously the ones that raped her. But she started dating guys that I just I couldn't get along with. I just didn't like. And it sent me into seeing my sister like that. It it sent me into a, a depression that I I couldn't handle. And I I started like I said I was with pain and low self worth and especially undiagnosed mental health condition. I ended up cutting. I ended up cutting myself a lot. I I have a few scars on my arms and, in a, and on my wrists. Uh it was it was probably one of the more difficult times in my life because I didn't know how to handle how how empty I was feeling and how how worthless I felt over everything. But at the end of at the end of all that, uh, I ended up uh, I had gotten a job. Uh, I got a part time job. I was working at a hardware store. It was my one of my first jobs uh, in high school, a little part-time job, and I, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. One of the best things that I really liked about it was the fact that uh, <laughs> there was a, a gorgeous blonde that I worked with there. She was she was incredible. Her name was Michelle, and I, I worked with Michelle uh, just one day a week, but we became really good friends. Uh, we talked a lot at work. We got along great, uh, but she had a boyfriend. Uh, she had a boyfriend named Marvin. Michelle and Marvin. Freaking Eminem. Michelle and Marvin. <laughs> God, I was I was in love with this girl, like. And I couldn't handle the fact that she was already with someone. But but even still, she and I became really close. We hung out outside of work. You know, we we started you know going over to each other's houses. We would do things on our own. You know, just just as friends. Nothing crazy. It's not like she was cheating on him with me or anything crazy like that. She was still, she was still with Marvin. But I couldn't get over the fact that uh, that she was with him, especially as we got closer. And I started to see how he treated her. And I didn't agree with how he treated her. I thought he was kind of a dick. He was he was kind of an asshole. He he did not respect her the way that she should have been respected. Yeah. And, you know, and that that hurt me because obviously I had feelings for her and and I ended up telling her how I felt and and she knew how I felt. She knew that I wanted her. And things kind of got awkward with us, but not really. We still stayed friends and then and then and then my life kind of got flipped upside down, because then, with one of my, one of my best friends introduced me to a girl named Laura, and Laura ended up my first girlfriend, the first girl that I liked that liked me back, we were on the same page, and this was this was now a girlfriend. <coughs> We became really close really fast. Uh, In fact, uh, I I introduced her to Michelle, and I I started feeling better about myself with Michelle because for the first time, better about myself with Michelle and all these other things that I was talking about, all these other issues of feeling depressed, suddenly I started feeling better about myself because the core issue was my self-image. And now I have someone to tell me that I'm a great guy and that... I'm good looking and all these things that I never believed about myself. I have a girl that I like telling me these things about me and she wants to spend time with me and now suddenly my self-image problems are like going away. So I still liked Michelle, but I didn't really care that much about the fact that she didn't like me back because now I have someone, now I have Laura and that's all I care about. Now I, for the first time, I was actually content looking at Michelle and seeing her as just a friend. I was for, for the first time I was content with that. I was happy with that. So we end up doing uh, a couple doubles, a couple double dates, you know, the four of us, Michelle and Marvin and, and Laura and myself, we do some double dates, we go bowling, we hang out, we have an okay time. I still don't like the way Marvin treats her. But this time, it's not out of jealousy, because I'm, I'm happy in my own relationship. So it's not out of jealousy. It's just out of looking out for a friend that I, I don't like the way Marvin treats her. But there's nothing I can do about that. I've told Michelle how I feel. Michelle is Michelle is happy. Michelle's my friend. If she's happy, I'm happy for her. Whatever. not my business. Laura and Marvin started becoming friends. Uh, we, like I said, we doubled, so the two of them start talking, you know, we' all four of us become good friends, whatever. Michelle and I were close. So Marvin and Laura start talking you can imagine where this story goes and this is another one of those distinctive defining moments in my teenage years that I can remember like it was yesterday and I can remember exactly how I felt I can remember exactly what I was thinking I can remember exactly how depressed I was when I was sitting in my bedroom and I got a phone call from Michelle and I answered and I said hey what's up Michelle and Michelle was crying she was bawling her eyes out, and I had never heard this girl cry. And I, I knew immediately that something was wrong. I was like, Michelle, what, what's going on? What's the matter? Michelle, take a deep breath and tell me what's the matter. I need you to stop crying so you can tell me what's the matter, and, and we can go from there. Michelle goes, Jay, do you know where Laura is? And I said, where where Laura is? What? She just... No, I don't. I mean, she just texted me a little bit ago. Uh she was at my house not that long ago and she just she just left not that long ago. So, I mean, I I assume she went home. I mean, I I guess I don't really know. And Michelle says, Jay, don't hate me. Don't don't hate you. Michelle, I've I've practically been in love with you for years. Why would I hate you? And she goes Don't hate me. Marvin and Laura are together. Laura's at Marvin's house, and yeah. I can remember exactly how that made me feel. I can remember how angry I was. I, for probably two years already, two, three years now that I've known Michelle and Marvin. I have hated Marvin, but I've put up with him because he was dating one of my best friends. But I hated him because of the way he treated my friend. And I hated him out of jealousy because despite the way he treated her, he was able to get that girl. He was able to get her even though I wanted her and I deserved her and I would have treated her better and I was practically in love with her but he somehow managed to get her. And that's why I hated him for the two years previous to that. Then I kind of start getting over that because I end up with Laura. I end up with someone else. I end up in my own relationship. I end up happy. And Marvin, of all people, comes and fucks that up for me. Comes and takes that. Takes this one girl, who for the last few years I've been looking for, and he takes her. <coughs> I don't think I ever hated someone in my entire life. I don't think I've ever hated someone as strongly as I hated Marvin in that moment. I I couldn't even bring myself to be angry with Laura because I was so distracted on my, my anger and hatred towards Marvin because this is now the second one. The second girl that he essentially stole from me that ruined my life again. I couldn't handle that. (coughs) (coughs) So, Michelle and Marvin ended up breaking up. They were done. Michelle begged me to leave Laura. Michelle was now single for the first time since I've known her. I probably could have left Laura And gone and been with Michelle and I have no idea how my life could have turned out differently. I have no idea. I'll never know. Because I decided to stay with Laura. Why did I do that? I did it because she was my first real relationship. She was who I lost my virginity to. She was probably the most important thing in the world to me after all these other high school experiences, you know, the ones I told you about and, and, and a bunch of other minor ones as well, she was the one that changed me. She was the one that for the first time, as long as I could remember, I felt happy. The first time that I ever felt happy was with her. I I didn't know how to let that go. I clung to her like I didn't know, I didn't. I, I did not know what else to do. I didn't. Michelle and I ended up fighting over it a few times because Michelle just, like I said, Michelle begged me to leave her, and I just I couldn't do it, so I stayed with her. But I I don't think I ever got over that. I don't I don't know how you get over that, especially, we we were together about six months. You know, we had said I love you. We had, like I said, I lost my virginity to her. We had we'd been having sex. You know, I I I was as an 18, As good as an 18-year-old can be, I I was in love with her, you know? She was my world. I didn't know to leave her. I didn't want to leave her. So life went on. Laura and I ended up getting married. Uh, We got married at 21. We were married at 21 years old. And I remember our wedding. I remember our wedding like it was yesterday. And I remember how upset I was with her over a couple dumb things. Uh Number one, I don't dance a lot. I was, t- I mentioned that when I was telling the story about the homecoming dance, I don't dance a lot. I'm not a dancer, but this is my wedding and I'll dance at my wedding and I want to have a good time. I'm, this is the happiest day of my life. And this is like strong happiness. Like this is as happy as I can get. And you add a little alcohol into that, shit, this is this is freaking amazing, of course I'll dance now, my own wife, who I just married, dances with like everybody except me, how does that even happen, how does she go out on a dance floor and dance with people other than me, I didn't, I didn't understand that, and looking back on it now, looking back on everything that happened between us, I think it's... I think a lot of it has to do with um, she was in love with the idea of being in love, in love with the idea of being married, and never was really in love with me, which is why she she cheated on me with Marvin. But anyways, so I was upset with her during the wedding. I remember at the end of the wedding reception, we eventually made it back to our hotel room, and I practically had to beg this woman to have sex with me on our wedding night I had to beg her she was tired she had been on her feet all day you know it'd been a long day she didn't really feel in the mood not in the mood well you get in the mood this is our fucking wedding night it didn't happen oh well time marched on I got a job outside. We went. We stayed together through college. You know, we were we were married, and uh, so we we had met at the end of high school. We stayed together through college. At the end of college, we got married. Now, she starts teaching. She's teaching for the school district. I'm still kind of up in the air with jobs. I'm trying to be a, uh, I'm I'm trying to get into uh, uh, a couple different jobs. Uh, at the time, I'm working. Uh, security at the school where I where I graduated college from so I'm, I'm working security there I'm working odd schedules because this is a 24/7 job so I'm working nights or weekends holidays I'm working all those shitty schedules that nobody wants to work but you know it's I'm, I'm dealing with it we're we're in our early 20s we're broke early 20s we're broke we do what we do what we have to do uh, and this is what we have to do to pay rent. So this is what we do. She, because I'm not home in the evening, she gets involved in more after-school activities. You know, she's teaching, so she starts doing, like, coaching, things like that. She ends up coaching and w- with another teacher who uh, I think he was a gym teacher. She ends up coaching uh, volleyball uh, in the evenings with this guy, with this coworker of hers, and of course, our relationship suffers because of the distance created by my job. What do you think happens? Cheats on me again. this one oh, this one broke me more than Marvin. I remember coming home from work. I uh, got home. I'm gonna say about one o'clock in the morning and and Laura was asleep already because she was a teacher she had to get up early the next morning so she was always asleep so i, I we we hardly saw each other this was a disastrous relationship and and you know <laughs> it was only a matter of time before she was going to do this you know so i get home 1 a.m. i walk into the bedroom she's passed out and her phone vibrates and has a little text tone and her phone was set up to where if you don't answer the text, it'll just keep notifying you, you know, every two minutes or whatever. And, and I couldn't fall asleep because it, every two minutes it would ring. So I finally reach over, grab her phone, uh, and I realize it's a bunch of texts from this guy. I take her phone into the living room, and I start scrolling. And holy shit, what do I discover? She's been having an affair with this guy for a while and I'm like oh my god this happened right under my nose and I never even knew it never even knew it never imagined I knew we were distant because we didn't see much of each other but it kind of worked for me uh I I didn't I, I didn't need to see her every single day I didn't realize that there was that big of a problem But I read these text messages and I just remember, I just remember wanting to die. There was was nothing, there was nothing there anymore. I had, so it's like I read text messages for a good, I'm gonna say a good two hours I was scrolling through their conversation. It was such a long conversation and I just, I kept reading the more I read, the worst I felt. And uh, about 3.30 in the morning, I called my brother. My brother, through all of this, turned into my absolute best friend. Uh, He turned into my best friend to this day he's never he's never let me down never betrayed me and he's like the only person on the face of the planet that i can say that about but i called my brother i t- i said i said you need to come over here you need to come over here now and i don't think i told him exactly why i think i hinted at it and he figured it out and he came over drove over in his truck and i was I was sitting on the front steps outside the house, outside of my house, and, and I was just a mess. I was just bawling my eyes out. I I felt fucking miserable. I can't even describe. I can't even describe how low I felt. I, there's not even words to describe it, and I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I'll never forget this. And I remember telling my brother I need I need to leave you need to take me you need to take me somewhere you need to take me to your house or something I can't I cannot stay here and he's like okay I got you and he picked me up off the stoop and I I couldn't even I couldn't even hold myself up he he was holding me up and he said okay well let's let's get some clothes let's get some stuff that you need and then we'll go and I said okay And I turned and I started walking back into the house and I I stopped in the doorway like about to walk back into my house. And I stopped and I froze. I I turned back and I looked at him. And I said, Luke, you you need to come inside with me. He looked at me and he said, Why? And I said, Because I have I have a gun in the nightstand. And if I go in by myself, this is going to be a murder suicide. And he said, "Oh." And I remember. I remember thinking in my head that I wanted to go inside, and and she didn't. Laura was not even awake. She didn't wake up. I didn't confront her. I didn't say anything to her. Nothing. All I did was I took my wedding ring off and I left it on the kitchen table, and that was it. And I. I remember thinking to myself, before I said it, I remember thinking, I want to fucking murder her. There's a handgun in there. I can, I'm can. i just going to go in and kill her, and I'm going to kill myself, and it's going to be over, I'm to be free of this pain. And I remember thinking that wasn't a real feeling until I said it out loud to my brother. And then when I said it, I realized how how ridiculous and how ludicrous it sounded and how That's not going to solve anything. I can't do that. I remember how stupid it sounded, even though that's still what I wanted to do in my mind. I remember how stupid it sounded. After I said it, I was like, what the hell is my brother going to say? He's going to think I'm nuts. And he just looked at me and he said, oh. And he came inside with me. He came inside and he stood by the nightstand and he made sure that all I did was I grabbed my clothes. And then we left. I believe with all my heart to this day that my brother saved both Laura's life and mine. Because if he wasn't there, I I think I would have done it. I absolutely think I would have done it. And uh, make this long story a little short. Laura and I, (laughs) oh my God. Yes, I forgave her again. I forgave her again. She was my only love. I didn't know how to let her go. I just, I, I didn't know how to let her go. I couldn't do it got marriage counseling, and that was a disaster because every counselor we went to, which was several, pointed a big finger at me, pointed a big finger at me and said that my career choice involved working holidays and nights and weekends, my career choice was putting a major strain on our relationship. And if I wanted our marriage to work, I needed to make sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices that I needed to make was that I needed to consider a different career. (coughs) (coughs) So I was being told that while I did nothing wrong, while I wasn't the one who cheated, I'm being told that I have to give up all these things to fix our marriage. And I'm thinking I, I already gave up a lot by, by forgiving her and agreeing to take her back and agreeing to work through this instead of just the easy solution of goodbye, peace out, sign here, this is your divorce decree, deuces, I'm out. I could have done that. I figured trying to work it out and agreeing to trying to work it out was a pretty big, uh, <laughs> I figured that was a pretty big sacrifice. So in these therapy sessions, Laura would be told, you know, the therapist would look at Laura and say, don't do that again and point to her, don't do that again. And then the therapist would turn to me and say, if you want your wife to not feel like she has to cheat on you, these are some of the things you need to do. You need to give her more attention. You need to make sure you tell her that you love her. You need to make sure that you work a different schedule so you can see her. In fact, you might want to just change careers, blah, blah, blah. All these things that I had to do, a laundry list of things that I had to do And the only thing that she would be told was just don't do that again because you messed up. And in the therapy session, Laura would agree. You know, she'd be crying and she'd be like, yeah, I know I messed up. I I know I messed up. That was the wrong thing to do. But I did it because he never gave me any attention. I did it because he was never home. I did it because I never saw him, blah, blah, blah. She was the biggest manipulator I've ever met in my life. Ever. To this day the way she manipulated people was insane to me time marches on we end up brushing it under the rug i'm not going to say we fixed it i'm not going to say i forgave her cuz i don't believe that's what happened i think we brushed it under the rug brushed under the rug we end up moving to las vegas for career fields for our career for both of our careers moved 2000 miles away to where we didn't know anybody else And we fixed or tried to fix our marriage. We only had each other when we came to Las Vegas. That was it. We had to support each other. We had to be there for each other. And she was there for me. She was. She was the most supportive person in the world for a period of time there. Things seemed okay. I never got past the two times that she broke my heart, though. I never got past that. I kind of figured that I never will get past those things. You can't unring that bell. Once she cheated, that was it. You can't undo that. But no marriage is perfect. No relationship is perfect. Everybody has struggles. And even though she did those things in the past, I can see how she's treating me now, and I'm happy with the way she's treating me now. So I think I can essentially just look past that or move on because nobody's perfect. But I never did get over it. And like I said, I just kind of tried to look past those things in our past. Well, and then she got pregnant. Yep, she got pregnant. Right after she told me she was pregnant, things spiraled out of control. I couldn't get the thought out of my head that 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 wasn't going to be my baby. Every time she talked to another guy or texted with another guy or talked about another guy at work, those thoughts would always creep in my head. I I could not trust this girl. I just couldn't. So now she's pregnant, and all I can think is, how am I ever going to know if that's even really my kid? How am I ever going to know? And I just, we fell apart. We drifted apart in the early stages of her pregnancy and I didn't I I watched it happen in front of me. I had no direct reason to think that she was cheating on me around the time she got pregnant, other than the fact that she had in the past and the fact that I had no trust issues. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no trust issues. I <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. I obviously had trust issues. That's what I meant. I didn't know. I just didn't know what to do. I started I started flirting with uh, other women at work that I worked with, other women that I was friends with. I, flirting, nothing crazy. But I started to realize how I could feel if I was attracted to somebody else because I had never been in any other real relationship. And now I'm 20. At this point, I'm going to say I'm 25, 26. I had never been in any relationship with anybody but this girl who broke my heart and who I can't trust. And I had such a tainted view of what a relationship was. I didn't even know what it would be like to be with someone that actually liked me and actually respected me and didn't cheat on me and all these things. and So I became tempted. And And I didn't actually physically cheat on her, but I did realize that I wanted to. And I definitely developed emotional connections with a couple different girls, and I was like, I can't. I'm not happy with my wife anymore. And she saw it, so she started getting even more distant towards me. She started getting angry with me because now she's pregnant and I'm leaving her. And and long story short, we did end up getting divorced. Uh, we separated early in her pregnancy. I moved out, and we started the divorce process, and... When our daughter was, our daughter was born in August, and the following April, our divorce was finalized, and that was that, and it's been hostile ever since then. Uh, it was a very hostile divorce. It was, it was bitter times. It was bitter times, and let's see. So this, this January. So it's February now, but this past January is 3 marks 3 years since since we separated. And this upcoming April will be 2 years since our divorce has been finalized. 2 years. 2 years since. And that's and that's how long and that's how long I've been single. Uh I'm gonna say the three years I've uh, since since we separated. That's how long I've been I've been single, and the reason I I say that is because I give you that whole background of what happened from my teen years through my young adult years and and into my divorce. Which all those things, uh, all those things, uh, led me into uh, getting diagnosed with with borderline personality disorder in the way that the way that i interact with people now it's not a congenital disorder it's not something you're born with it's it's some people may be predisposed to it they may be more likely to get it some people are are uh, they develop it over a period of time uh, due to environmental factors due to trauma different different things can <coughs> oh my god i had to get over this cough Different things can, can cause a person to develop borderline personality disorder. And it, it's got different levels of severity. Different people might have worse cases than me. But I give you all that that 10-year history just to paint a little picture. And, and I, th- I, th- I don't really know where I'm going to go with this podcast, to be honest with you. But the way I imagine it is I'm going to spend a majority of, of it talking about more recent times. Not not so much of what happened or what I experienced in high school or what I experienced uh, in my marriage several years ago or the end of my marriage, the demise of my marriage. Some of that stuff is relevant, but I think what's more relevant is, and what's more relevant to you is probably... Uh, since I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, since I was diagnosed with it, since I started getting treatment for it, since I started reading about it and researching it and learning how to handle it, I can now share some of these stories from my more modern past, my more recent history here, and we can discuss how different things were, were handled or how different things were addressed, knowing that I have this now. I don't know if it does a lot of good telling you stories about how I attempted suicide in high school because those may not be beneficial because when I was at that age, I didn't know how to handle those things. Now, I I kind of have a little bit better handle on it, and I think that's more of the stories that uh, that you want to hear. I, th- I think. Maybe I'm wrong. I I don't know. I did create an, an email address uh, for this, if you want to email, email into me, uh, if, so if if you, if you have any suggestions on that, maybe you want to hear more stories about my past and, and stuff. Maybe you want to hear more about how I handle stuff in recent days. So any any of those things, just feel free to shoot me an email. It's email address is going to be borderline750 at gmail.com borderline750 at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. I my goal for today was basically what we just accomplished. I wanted to tell a little bit about my own background, a little bit about my own uh my own history there and 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 I Sorry, I'm at a loss for words now. I don't I think like I said, I think the goal that I have that that I'd like to accomplish with this podcast is I want to be able to just talk about specifically what I've experienced over the last couple of years and different, different things that I've gone through. Uh, different things that don't seem like a big deal to, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the term normal people, and I'm going to probably offend some people that have BPD or any other mental condition, mental illness, when we use the word normal, people are like, I can't believe that because you're just calling me abnormal. I am abnormal. I'm proud to say that I'm abnormal. So if I talk about BPD and I say this is how BPD affects me and this is how it's different than normal people, when I experience an emotion, I experience that different than normal people. And I'm not afraid to use the word normal. I know I'm not normal. And... I I embrace the fact that I'm different. I embrace the fact that I have BPD. And and it took me a while to get to that point. When I was going through especially my divorce, my divorce was very high conflict. It was very stressful. It was the most difficult time in my life, absolutely 110%. And but when I was going through that, uh I felt so so low and did not understand Happiness. I I was not happy at all for a very long time, for months on end. I just could not. It was like a major. It was like a, a state of major depression, ongoing. The thing about BPD is that we swing like a pendulum. Our emotions swing like a pendulum from one extreme to the next in a matter of seconds, just constantly throughout the day. Different stimuli, whatever we experience, just makes constant impacts on us and and how we feel. One minute I could be totally, totally in love with this, uh, with this person, with this uh, thing, with this idea, whatever. A couple minutes later, someone pisses me off and I'm just the angriest person in the world and it's just intense anger, very, very rapidly changing emotions and During this time of my divorce, it was different because it was like, it was just like constant depression, constant emptiness, and I didn't know how to overcome that, and it took me a long time, and now, you know, three years later, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out. I still struggle with it, but I'm figuring it out. (coughs) I'm figuring out how to control my own emotions because someone with BPD can't, can't control their emotions nearly as well as someone who doesn't have BPD, like I said, every emotion is very, very powerful, very, very intense. And they're very, very dynamic. They're very turbulent, very rapidly changing. And that's what's dangerous. Uh, that's what ends up dangerous for, for BPD. People with BPD end up, uh, uh, with a very high suicide rate, uh, Something bad happens to us, or we have a bad day, and suicide becomes a viable option. Over a bad day, something that a normal person probably wouldn't wouldn't consider, because for BPD, if you have, if you have BPD, when you have a bad day, it is like the sky is falling. It is like you cannot get over, you 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 can't get over it. You don't know how to get past this uh, this this negative feeling, and and you don't know what to do. And then something good happens, and suddenly you're on cloud nine, and you're, you're just you're as happy as can be. You're on the top of the world again. It's just you could be on cloud nine, and then you you. So people, I I sometimes compare BPD to uh, bipolar disorder, uh, and bipolar people with bipolar disorder may go from states of. Uh, uh, intense depression to opposite absolutely high cloud nine whatever like those manic states they can go back and forth in those you know every couple of days like they might live in a state of depression for days on end and then they'll be in a more of a manic state for several days it it just goes back and forth but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily shift as quickly as BPD where BPD is constant constant shifts every stimulus every stimulus in the world in our environment affects us in one in one way or another every every text message i get has a very very powerful effect on me it's very difficult to explain it's very difficult to try to understand what this does to someone every everything someone else tells me Either makes me high, high, high on cloud nine like I'm the happiest human being ever and this is like the greatest day of my life or freaking miserable and empty and despair. And it's so, so difficult to, to manage that when you go from one extreme to the next every couple of Minutes. Minutes imagine having the best day of your life imagine having that day last for 45 seconds take the best day of your life cut that down to 45 seconds and now take the worst absolute worst day of your life and put that in the next 45 seconds so now you have 90 seconds that's a minute and a half a minute and a half a minute and a half of the best day and the worst day, all combined into a minute and a half. Now imagine that that minute and a half constantly goes back and forth throughout your day, every day, and that's your life. That's how you experience emotion. It can be miserable. It can be miserable. But... But the thing about BPD that intrigues me is we have the ability, because we feel these emotions so intensely, we have a hidden ability to love deeper than anyone else, more intensely than anyone else. Someone with BPD falls in love very, very quickly. They grow attached to someone very, very quickly. And I have a bunch of stories of this. And and like I said, I've been single for three years, but I've dated – I've not been in a real relationship. I've not been with the same girl for more than, I'm going to say, three weeks uh, over the last three years. You know, that one girl lasts sometimes just a couple days, sometimes uh, maybe a week. But nobody has lasted more than, uh, uh, I'm going to say – Three weeks is is what has been my limit over the last couple years, and that's why I say that I've been single for that amount of time. Not that I've not gone out on dates because I have, but nothing's lasted, nothing's developed into anything. But what I will say is that out of all those dates, I've, I've, I'm going to say eighty to eighty five percent of them, I could sit here and say that I've felt like. In the moment, with them, not not in not an objective truth or anything, but in my own emotional, in my own emotional world, especially my own BPD world, I can sit here and say that I felt like I was in love with probably eighty percent of them. In the last, I'm gonna say since uh, since before Christmas, let's say since Thanksgiving, I can think of three separate girls that I've dated. So in the last, let's see, Thanksgiving, November, December, January, not even three months, not even three months, I can think of three different girls that have come into my life and left. And all three of them, I honestly felt when I first started talking to them, I felt like this is someone I'm going to fall in love with. I love this person. I could I could potentially be with this person long term. Three different people in less than three months. Because it only takes one date for me to start feeling that way. I can feel that way. I can feel that way within a matter of minutes. Or I can go out with someone and within a matter of minutes know that I have, I want nothing to do with this person. I'm not interested them in them at all. Things don't happen slowly for someone with BPD. But I'll tell you what happens because of that. Well, a number of things happen. And I'm coming up on an hour. I wanted to keep this to about an hour because I don't want to bore I don't want to get to a point that gets boring. So you know, you know what? That's not a very good breaking point. But I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to cut off uh, pretty soon here. I just wanted to say that BPD, especially in dating and relationships, and oh, my God, and not just those intimate relationships, but friends, family, all of those relationships are so intense, so heated all the time. It's an intense fire all the time, either good fire or bad fire, where you just want to get away from the person or where you just want to be with that person constantly and talk to that person constantly. So, a couple things happen. Either A, you push them away because it's like, whoa, I just met this person and now I need to back off. Like, he needs to back off. Like, holy crap. So, that's one thing that can happen. But even more likely than that, when you have someone like me, so I have BPD. I could tell you all these things that I feel. I can tell you how I look at things, how I look at these relationships. But because I know these things and because I'm, I'm critically aware of what BPD does for me and how it affects me, I can make myself the exact opposite of that. I can, I can very successfully, in I'm going to say 80% of the time, I can very successfully hide my emotions. It doesn't mean I don't feel those emotions. I can't control what I feel, but I can control what I display and what I show. So I back off. Because I understand that BPD affects my emotions, I don't even... I can pull those emotions back, hide them inside myself, and then the opposite effect happens because then the person who I'm dealing with will tell me that I appear to be emotionally numb or stale. Like I don't have feelings. I don't smile very often. I I don't smile in a lot of pictures. And a lot of times when I send pictures to people and I'm not smiling, they ask me, why aren't you smiling? Because I've trained myself to withhold emotion. I've trained myself to withhold emotion. And The problem with that is if you train yourself to withhold emotion, which a lot of people with BBD do, especially when they start start learning how to manage it, they start withholding their emotion because they start learning that their emotions are not seen as valid, and that's what becomes problematic. My emotions aren't seen as valid because I can't be in love with someone who I just met. If I display... That level of emotion, if I display the level of emotion that I'm actually feeling, <laughs> she'd run for the freaking hills, wouldn't you? You went out, If you went out with somebody once and this person was all over you, like, I, I think I could marry you one day. You're just an amazing person. I'm in love with you. I think about you all the time. I, I can see myself spending the rest of my life with you. If they tell you that after one date, what are you going to do? Of course you're going to run. And the person saying those things just lost you so this person feels like they honestly want to be with you for the rest of their lives or they think that they do they think that they could be with you forever whether that's true or not is irrelevant they think and they feel like that's like you could be the one for them but if they say that they lose you so if they really feel that they're not going to say it because they know that that's what's going to happen Maybe they know that's what's gonna happen because they've done that before and they've experienced that before, because that's that's what happened to me. So I I I pull those emotions back, and now I pull them back so far that I appear emotionally numb. Why do I pull them back so far? Because I can't balance it. I can't regulate it. I can't I can't display the proper amount of emotion. Either I display what I'm actually feeling or I don't display anything at all. I can't display a fake emotion. I can't fake the oh yeah, let's move slow, and I'm trying to get to know you, and we just met, so you know I'm still feeling you out, blah blah. blah. I can't fake that because that's not how I feel. I never feel that way, so I can't fake that. So the only the, the only two options are either show you how I really feel, or I just don't show you anything at all, and that's how you end up losing people too. There's like no happy medium. And that's why, like I said, I've had three separate girls that I can think about and that have all really affected me deeply in the last couple months. I've had three in the, last less, in the last less than three months do that. I've had three, three different people that I felt like I could marry or I could be with for the rest of my life. I, I just, sitting here talking about it, I can't even believe it because I know how ridiculous it sounds. And, and if you think about it, you could probably tell too. You could probably realize that that is freaking ridiculous. That is insane that there are three different people that I've gone out on dates with that I've known for less than a week or two. And I'm already like, I could be with this person forever. In fact, let me tell you this. Out of those three people, one of them doesn't even live in Nevada. One of them lives on the other side of the country. And I've seen her twice. Two times. I've seen her twice. She lives on the other side of the world. (laughs) And here I am telling you with 100% honesty and sincerity that both times I hung out with her, and if I text her or talk to her or whatever, I could be with her for the rest of my life and I could be happy with her. Whether that's true or not is irrelevant, and that's my point in all this. Whether that is true or accurate or not doesn't matter because that's not the point. The point of this, the point of this podcast, the point of this story is that's how I feel about it. That's my feeling about it. So if you have BPD, that's you can probably relate to that because that's intense, intense feelings of love, just love at first sight. We People with BPD fall in and out of love overnight all the time. I could feel like that about her one day and then go out with her again. um, And, you know, let's say I let's say I see her again uh, in a month. So I see her in a month, but maybe between now and then I kind of start to meet someone else that's here closer to home and I start liking that someone else. Well, then when I go see this other girl a month from now out of state, I go fly, fly away to see her. Suddenly, I'm not that I don't feel that way about her anymore. Suddenly, I'm falling out of love with her very, very quickly Because now I'm interested in someone else. Very, very turbulent and rapidly changing emotions. Very, very, very intense all the time. And now just imagine that level of intensity ruling your life. How do you develop a relationship with someone like that? I have no idea. I don't. I don't even have the answer to that. All I can do is tell you different experiences that I've had and different things that I've done to try to help that. And like I said, I think some of the stories might even be entertaining because, I don't know, I think, it's, I think it's funny to sit here and tell you that I've had three different people in less than three months, three different people in three months that I've fallen intensely in love with. How many people can actually say that? How many people can say that they've fallen in love with three different people in a three-month time period? It's crazy it's crazy and all three of those people broke my heart all three of those people caused my heart to shatter because when they backed off or they stopped talking to me or they told me that they didn't want to be with me it was like it felt almost as intense as when my wife when I found out my wife was cheating on me and blowing some other dude And I wanted to murder her. I wanted to murder her and kill myself. And now every time I I get attached to someone and I fall in love with someone overnight, and then this person backs off or doesn't talk to me or doesn't text me back, doesn't call me back, tells me they don't want to talk to me anymore or they don't want to see me or they cancel on me or they blow me off. Wow. Broken heart. Drama queen. People... Normal people look at someone with B P D and they call us drama queens. That's what I am. Especially in my love life. Oh my God. That's what I am. When I look at it, that's when I look at it from a from the outside looking in and I look at some of the things that I do or some of the things I say, the way that I feel about people, oh my God, am I a drama queen? But what do I do about that? There's nothing I can do. That's part of the reason I don't want to talk to a psychiatrist anymore. It's just just a waste of money. There's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is you recognize that you have these things and you learn how to manage it. And you learn the best that you can, the best strategies that you can. You learn how to manage it. And if anyone does get close to you, I think, and I don't know because I haven't gotten this close to anybody to where I feel like I can trust them with this information, but if someone gets close to you, I think you have to tell them what you struggle with. You have to tell them about BPD and you have to tell them that you have this. And that this is how you look at the world, so that they know, hey, I really, I really love you. I really care about you, but you need to know that I have this thing. This is, I have, I have BPD, and if I have a bad day, I may act like I really don't love you anymore, because one of the things with BPD is we are terrified of abandonment absolutely terrified of abandonment real or imagined and that's the key it doesn't matter if someone is actually abandoning me if if they are doing anything at all that makes me perceive it as abandonment that makes me look at them and say oh my god they're gonna leave I'm gonna run for the hills I'm gonna run so fast away from that person not because I don't want to be with them because I desperately want to be with them but I cannot stand the feeling of them leaving me. I would much rather leave them. I would much rather leave them. Like I said earlier, I couldn't get along with my family, and there's a lot of stories there. I could share a ton of stories about not getting along with my family when I was growing up, but one of the reasons that we moved from, that my wife and I moved from the Midwest to Nevada, 2,000 miles away from home, is because I felt like my family was abandoning me. I felt like they didn't support my career decision. I felt like they didn't support my decision to get married. I felt like they didn't support any of my major life decisions. I felt like they were abandoning me emotionally. So what did I do? I ran from them before they could abandon me. Real or imagined, they weren't abandoning me. Looking back on it now, several years later, I've been here five years, so I can look back five years ago, they weren't abandoning me. They weren't. But I ran from them because in the moment I felt like I was being abandoned and I don't, I can't handle that. I have to run away. So same thing with intimate relationships. If I feel like I'm losing, if I feel like I'm, I could be totally in love with this person, but they're not texting me back or they're not calling me back or I haven't seen them in a couple days because they're like blowing me off, or they've got other things going on, whatever the case is, I feel like they're kind of withdrawing from me, even if that's not really what's happening, that's what I perceive as happening, I'll run for the hills. The fact that I'm desperately in love with this person and I want to spend the rest of my life with them is irrelevant. I'll run for the hills. I'll run for the hills because I would rather be the one running. I don't want them to leave me. It's a shitty feeling. a shitty feeling and there's lots of times where I had something good and maybe could have been with them in a long term relationship but in a moment in a single moment I felt like they were they were I felt like they were withdrawing or they were leaving and I fucking left I was gone could not stick around and that was it that's just what happens there's nothing, nothing I can do about that other than recognize that that's what I do. Try to see it before it happens, and, and and try to manage it, or try to try to warn these people. Because if I'm really, if I'm really, truly in love with someone, they need to understand that that's what I'm gonna do when I feel threatened. They need to understand that I'm gonna run for the hills. But if they love me, they need to chase me. They need to chase me and bring me back, because. Someone with BPD needs constant reassurance. They need constant attention and they need constant reassurance. And that's very, very difficult in a relationship. The only way that can work is if you find someone who understands that and who wants that level of attention also. Because if I'm truly in love with this person, I will give them all the attention in the world. I will. I will give them all the attention in the world. I'll spend every minute talking to them because I just, I crave their attention. And if they're going to give me their attention and I'm going to give them theirs, then it's all great until it falls apart. All right. Well, I'm rambling on and on. We're coming up on an hour and 15 minutes here. I think we're going to call this a day. Thank you for checking out this podcast. If you if you listen to this whole hour and 15 minutes, uh maybe you listen to it in one sitting, maybe you listen to it in multiple sittings, I don't know. I I hope I hope you got something out of it. Um a lot of it is just my rambling. But you know yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what I could say to close this out. If you have BPD, I hope you can relate to some of the things I said. You have to recognize you have to recognize that you have it you have to recognize how it makes you act. and if you don't have BPD, maybe you just learned a little bit about maybe you learned a little bit about uh, what this condition can do to someone, how it handles their emo how how it affects their emotions and even if you don't have BPD, I'm sure you can probably relate to some of these stories that I told. You can relate to some of the uh, intense emotions and in different things because whether you have VPD or not, everybody has intense. Everybody has times and moments of intense emotions that 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 goes without saying. So maybe you can relate to some of that. Maybe you enjoy this. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed listening to this. Maybe it was slightly entertaining. I don't know. And like I said in the beginning, even if I got zero listeners out of it, hey, I feel better. I talked about it that's what I want to do. So I'll see you next week. I'm going to try to do one of these once a week. I'm going to try to keep it more to an hour. Hour and 15 is a little on the long side. I'm going to try to keep it closer to an hour. In the meantime, over the next week, if you want to email me, you can email me at borderline750 at gmail.com. Borderline750 at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. I'll talk to you next time.